Welcome to Bible Study Today. We are glad to be able to share the Word of God via the airwaves with all you, our dear listeners. We have a panel of five today, and um, I'm going to let the panel members introduce themselves and wish you good day. I'm Helen, and again, it's a delight to be here. It's Ken, and it's another wonderful opportunity to be among everyone that's listening today. Harvey, and I'm looking forward to the study today. And Brenton is our facilitator, and I'll let Brenton greet you in his own inimitable style. Welcome, listeners, to another exciting study of God's Word. Today, we're going to be studying living the gospel, not just talking about it, living it. Okay, Brenton, it's over to you. Before we uh, commence our study, we're going to uh, just bow our heads in prayer. We thank you, Lord, that we have the opportunity of study of your word again today. May the Holy Spirit that caused the word to be written in the first place be here to enlighten our minds so that we will get the message we need to for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thank you, Harvey. I'm going to invite us to open our Bibles to John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Our Bible study for today is entitled Living the Gospel. Now, the gospel to many people is good news. If I I was to ask the average person on our panel or the average person perhaps who listens to this uh, station, what is the gospel, many of them would say good news. But let's have a look at it in a little more detail. We need to look at the whole story really to get the context of John 3, 16 and 17. Helen, I wondered if you could read John 3, 16 and 17 and just tell me what stands out for you about a couple of things. First of all, God's love. Secondly, how universal is the gospel? And thirdly, who's it available to? Reading from the New Living Translation, it says, For God so loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. It's just the most beautiful text that we can read. When you break it down, you know, God's love. He loved the world, and that means everybody. It's not discriminatory, and I think that's... So it's universal Universal, yes, yes. It doesn't matter your class, it doesn't matter your creed, it doesn't matter your colour. God loves everybody, Mm -hmm. and he treats the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Yes. Who was this statement said to, panel? Mm -hmm. Well, Nicodemus came to Jesus by night on one occasion, partly because he didn't want to be seen to be coming because he was one of the leaders in the Sanhedrin at that time, which is sort of the parliament of um, the Jewish system. And to be given these statements by Jesus, which have become some of the most precious of all the statements in Bible, must have been something really special. What what was the purpose of his visit, uh, Len? You w- did want to make a comment. Well, I'll answer that um, in the second instance. Why does it say God loved the world? Now, I think there's a factor that mm-hmm. maybe we overlook, or maybe not overlook, but um, don't think about that much when we read or hear this text. The fact is that everybody in the world has sinned and sin is totally against the nature of God. God is perfect. And despite the sin that's in the world and despite all its corruption and so on, God still loves it. And that's the marvellous thing, 
that's where love really shows up. It's e easy to love when someone is like you and they love you in return, but when somebody turns against you, it's hard to love them. So we need to remember that in this text, this is a real test of love. Harvey wanted to say something. Helen's got uh, her hand uh, up as well. Can I just make a brief comment? When it says God so loved the world, he's loving people who don't love him. Yes. <laughs> First and essentially, whenever you read John 3.16, he's loving his enemies because the Bible tells us in other places that we are his enemies. Harvey, you had a Doesn't comment. Doesn't it say while we were yet sinners, yeah. God loved us? Mm. Harvey, I think you had a comment. And then yes, I was going to say that very often we hear that John 3.16 quoted, which is a wonderful text. In fact, a favourite of very many people. But I think it's nice to link it to the second one as well, John 3.17, because it just expands it a little, but it's two beautiful texts together. And I think that if you learn one, you should learn them both. Helen. Thank you. I'd like to add to that. Thank you, Harvey. When I, I look at them and I see in, in 16 it says God gave his son, in 17 it says God sent his son, mm -hmm. in 16 he said not for people to perish. In 17, he said not to judge. Yeah. In 16, he said, you know, to, for eternal life. And in 17, he said that they would, he would save the world. There is the, pi the parallel. In fact, even those two verses make what they call a chiasma. Yes, they do. And it's they? very interesting. Mm. Ken? Yes, I just wanted to go back to something Len said a moment ago, why does God love the world? We also have to remember that actually God made the world and every single thing in it, including us, and, of course, we are his children, and uh, everyone, irrespective of their status in the world, from the very least to very great, he is our father. Mm. There is, uh, Helen, and thank you, uh, Ken, for your comment. There is an interesting point here. If you read verse 15, verse 16, and verse 17, three times, yes. twice in virtually identical words, once in words that are slightly different, it basically says, whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So not as only is it universal in the scope of the gospel, but it's available to everybody. In other words, um, if I was to turn to Galatians 3.28, which we will later on in our study, but not right now, we would find that uh, Paul indicates that uh, the gospel goes to everybody. And we need to remember that in 2019, when we are called to minister to anybody. I could walk out of here today, out of the studio, and I could find someone laying in the gutter. What is my response? Walk on by, <laughs> ring the police, dial triple O, or do something. I'm using a very crude example, but <laughs> I'm just Ken. Uh, Len, I think you had a comment. In verse 17, it highlights the fact that God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world. Ah. Now, the state of the world is so bad that a normal person would condemn it because there's so much sin and and crime happening that um, is a good reason to condemn it. It's like um, I'll use our dog as an example. We had a lovely dog. He got, got sick at the end of his life. He lived a good long life. Now, what do you do with a dog like that? Do you try to save it? Well, in this case, we had him put down for his own sake because he was in pain. But the world is a, a corrupt and um, damaged place. 
And God had every right to condemn it, but because of his love, he didn't condemn it. He did what he could to save it. Hmm. Isn't it interesting that uh, Nicodemus came along for theological discussion? Hmm. What Christ ended up showing him was what the gospel actually was, and it didn't catch on straight away. I think we need to remember in our working for others, and we need to make this a very practical Bible study, in our working for others, they don't always catch on straight away. Sometimes it takes years and in Nicodemus's case, we believe it was something like three years before he openly came out and showed, showed himself to be a, a disciple of Christ. But he was pondering these statements, you must be born again, and saying, how does this work? And I believe that among you listeners, some of you have been considering the themes of what we've been talking about, and some of you have been thinking about giving your heart to the Lord and following him. It's not a slur against your name if you don't do it straight away. In fact, I think it's far better when somebody weighs up the costs of following the Lord or not. Yes. And that may take a, a, a period of time. Mm. But that's okay, just as it was with Nicodemus. Yes. And what was the fruit of Nicodemus? He was one of the two who came forward and took the body of Christ and gave it an honourable burial. Helen? Having said that, and I agree with you, Len, there is a point where you must not put it off forever because the scripture is clear that now is the day of salvation. Now is the time. So don't keep putting it off and putting it off, but I agree with you, you know, Mm. just because, you know, you're feeling, oh, I should, I should, is not the just reason. The Holy yeah. Spirit will convict, but don't turn the Holy yeah. Spirit Harvey away. Harvey first and then King. <laughs> yes, I agree with what's being said. There's one thing about it, though, and that is that once you have accepted Jesus as your personal saviour, and we call that being born again, mm-hmm. um, it, that's not the end. It's a growth situation from that point on. We get to know Jesus more and more, and that is a growth situation so it's not as if when we come to Jesus we have to have it all completely Perfect. square and organised but it's a case of that we want to have a relationship that becomes closer and closer yes Ken yeah I just wanted to add something here and that is the uh, especially in verse 15 we're talking about uh, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life and I think sometimes people don't realize that this life that we have at the moment is a really, really very short period of time. And even though we've got lots of trials and tribulations, the day will be coming where we will be actually going to a paradise that none of us can understand. So it is a very short, short time that we have at the moment, but we have something fantastic to look forward to. Mm, Thank you, Ken. That's a very valid point. Lynn. I don't want to delay this part of the program, but Jesus himself said in relation to um, when a person wants to give their lives to to life to the Lord, he said, if somebody wants to uh, do a building, doesn't he sit down and count the cost? Or if a king wants to um, go into battle, doesn't he sit down and work out whether he's capable of winning that battle? So it's okay to consider the cost, but I don't disagree with Helen. What you say is quite correct. We must not put that decision off forever, because if we do, we'll never make it. 
And in putting a decision off, you're actually making a decision. Len, actually that's one of uh, the devil's best tactics, is to cause people to put it off indefinitely. And we have examples in the Bible of that. So anyway, moving on, uh, what I've uh, put down now is this. Okay, it's okay for, for God to send his son, but whosoever believeth in him should not perish. But how did he go about working when he was here on earth? And we're going to turn to Matthew 9, verses 35 and 36. And we're going to find some very, very interesting points in here. Matthew 9, 35 to 36. I wonder, Len, could you read those verses for us, please? Yes, but before I before do, you do. <laughs> we have a, another panel member who's arrived. We do. And I'm sure people will be delighted to hear his voice. Who are you? He's looking good. <laughs> All right. Um, sorry to interrupt at this point in time. I'm still um, uh, having jet legs, you know, but uh, it's very good to be back with you guys here. Of course, nice uh, Nick, uh, Nick Rita uh, joining the panel, this wonderful panel. And uh, yeah, the very good discussion. I enjoyed uh, listening to you guys while I was away and you did a wonderful job. All right. We'll come back to Matthew chapter 9 versus... 35 and 36. Yes, if he could just at this stage, uh, Len, read those two verses, then we're going to exegete them, which simply means explain them, pull them apart, if you look. All right. <laughs> I'm reading from the NIV. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Wow. Let's start having a look at this in depth. His ministry consisted in verse 35 of what? There were several components to it. What was the first component? Teaching. Teaching. Teaching, Teaching, preaching and healing. That's right. Teaching in their... Towns and villages and their synagogues. Preaching in their Synagogues. synagogues and healing... Every disease and sickness. Okay. Can I just you may bring out a point there? Mm. The word he says when he saw the crowds, and there are several verses that brings us out. And sometimes we look, but we do not see. Yes. And I think that's a very important point because when when Jesus saw the crowd, it said he had compassion on them. Them why? Because they were confused, they were helpless, they were like sheep without a shepherd. Helen, we're going to go into that in a little bit okay, more. But you've sorry, really you've really touched yes. on that. No, you haven't jumped the mm-hmm. gun. That is true. Why did he operate the way he did? The answer is found in verse thirty six. It says he had compassion on them. Yes, I did look the Greek word up. It's splagnizomai. And I'm not, if there's any Greek people listening, they'll probably crucify me on this one. But that's <laughs> how I, it's spelled S-P-L-A-G-C-H-N-Z-I-M-O-I. And it means to feel it deep in your stomach. Now, this is well beyond you're not feeling too well and I'm sorry to hear that you're not well today it's um, it leads to having this feeling leads to action it leads you to want to do something to relieve the situation Len um, compassion and pity are two different things yes pity you feel sorry for but compassion 
you feel sorry, but you want to do something. Yes. As you've just said, Brenton, yes. there is action implied in compassion. Yes. Nick, I may just welcome jump. back. <laughs> Thank you, Brenton. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, just on that, uh, because I believe uh, in those verses, um, it's very clear that, yeah, Jesus uh, felt very compassionate towards the crowds. But interesting what uh, I think Helen was um, mentioning or just somebody or you, Brenton, asking about what prompted Jesus to be so compassionate, you know. And I like the thing because he saw the need. Mm-hmm. When he saw people, you know, when yeah. he saw the crowds, and he saw the need, mm-hmm. uh, and if we can link that with uh, our job for today, if you like, mm-hmm. as, as mm-hmm. Christ uh, um, followers and believers, yeah. how much need is out oh. there? How much need? Yeah. Are we compassionate? Or we just um, find all sorts of uh, excuses or, you know, sometimes we even, uh, very easily we can even put a sort of blame on some of those people uh, doing very tough of the importance of being able to to see the need not just observe the big picture see what the immediate need is and and attend to it Helen my mother always used to say walk in someone else's moccasins before you criticize because we don't know the lives of others but I like something you said before um, Brenton real love is an action it's not a feeling it's an action and it should come um, automatically and that's what happened with Jesus he didn't stop to consider you know how he was going to appear or how people would look at him he just saw the need and he went forth Mm. and I think we need to look at that as well before Mm. we come Ken you had your hand up and I will come to you in just a second I'd like to make a comment these days it is often considered that um, you have to look after yourself you have to have an appropriate amount of rest, appropriate amount of exercise and all the rest of it. Whilst I hear all that, and I see that it is important, as I study the life of Jesus, I see that no matter how tired he was, how maybe ill he was even feeling, if a person was there and needed his attention, he would give it to them. But where did he get his strength from? He got his strength from spending hours talking to his father. And I believe this is where we get our strength from. We must get our strength from prayer. We must spend time just opening our hearts and saying, Lord, I can't do it. It's crushing me, but I'm willing to go. Just just show me what you want me to do. Ken, before Ken, before oh, Ken says so. something, can I just <coughs> yeah, reply? It's might. on the same line. Um, that, you know, our strength comes from the Lord, obviously. And there's a text that says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Yes. And I think it's interesting if you look at where that word joy comes from. I think mm. it's charis in, yes. in, in yes, the Greek. Right. And the other thing that, that I, I, I think was important too, that sometimes we don't help someone because it will ruin our reputation. Jesus didn't worry about reputation. Correct. He went into the home of the tax collector, you know, and he touched the lepers. And sadly, I have seen people that would turn away from someone else because it's 
almost beneath them to be seen with that person. Mm. I'm, I'm thinking of an incident that happened to me when I was teaching and we all joined together to have a social evening and there were a couple of people in, in um, our colleagues who were from the, um, do you call it the LBG uh, society culture? And um, I worked with them and I appreciated their work. Yes. And I remember walking into this room and everybody was sitting down one end and these two people were up the other end. And I walked straight up to them, and this was this is not me, this is God. And I walked up there, and I sat. I actually, there was a chair between them, and I sat between them. And somebody actually came up and said, "Aren't you worried about your reputation? People will put you in the same boat." And I was aghast. I was aghast. You yeah. know, mm. um, that was their persuasion. I accepted yeah. that. They accepted who I was, and I think that's a thing we accept yes. it. But if we start worrying about our reputation, we are not doing what the Lord did. Well, Christ didn't worry about his no. reputation because frequently the Pharisees would criticise, not him directly. Yes. They would criticise to his disciples and mm. say, why is your master eating with tax collectors mm -hmm. and sinners? Ken, I think you yes. had a comment. Maybe just come back a little bit here, but we're asking the question, uh, where did this compassion come from? We have to remember that Jesus really, uh, this might not be the best way to put it but the only way I can think of he actually is a clone of God and we know that God is love there's no hatred or no discrimination or no winning except love yeah. in God and mm. Jesus is exactly the same yes yes Harvey did you have a comment we see that Jesus went about preaching and teaching and healing now of course preaching and teaching we can all understand but sometimes the healing we have to help the need, the, the physical need of a person before we can get through to them. And so Jesus understood yes. that to give them the health mm. meant that they would be open to his message. Yes. Well, there's one issue that probably bothers some people. If I help somebody, uh, is there going to be any change? Yes. Are they going to improve their lives or am I going to get some benefit from it? And I think when Jesus um, healed and preached and taught the people, he kind of expected it, but it was not a requirement. So when we help people, we, we help them totally out of love without expecting anything. If, if I could just add to that... Yeah, um, yeah we've only got to verse 35. We're going to get to I, I know, just very quickly on that, one because I believe here it's, uh, in, in a nutshell, just what uh, Len was just trying to say. This is actually living the gospel. Mm. We are not here to do things because, oh, we saw um, oh, those people may need our help. No, we're doing that because it's in our DNA, if you like. It's in our nature mm. as living the gospel. Yes. It's not a requirement of the gospels in um, such yes. way, even though it is, yes. but we are doing not because it's required from us, because we are from God. Yes. Yes, it's a good point. Let's go on to verse 36, folk, before we move on. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved in compassion. We've given that uh, Greek word. Because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. The word scattered is an interesting one. Uh, in the Greek, it is rip, reply. And it means to cast down, to lay prostrate, to flatten on the ground, what it actually is indicating is that 
Jesus' compassion for them was based not only on their physical condition, it was based on the fact that spiritually they had given up. They were exhausted. Now, let me ask a simple question. Don't many people in our society in 2019 feel exhausted, even amongst Christians? Yes. Yeah. Part of our, part of our, our, not mantra, that's a terrible word, part of our brief, as it were, is to lift them up. This is why Jesus had compassion for them. He saw that they had reached a point where they were flattened. They were spiritually flat on the ground and there was only one way to go and that's up. Isn't that part of what we're called to do? Yes, um, not only that, but we are to encourage and try to see the best in people. I know there are some rotten people out there and... um, I guess I've been pretty rotten at certain times in my life too. But the thing is, there's a little bit of good in everybody, despite how bad they are, and we need to lift people up to show them that there is a better way of life, a life that can bring satisfaction and peace and direction. I'd just like to add to that. You use the word try to um, you know, see them in a better light. I mentioned this lady before and I mention her again because she is such a good example and that's Mother Teresa. She did not try to look for the good in someone. She looked at people through the eyes of Christ. And I think there's a valuable lesson for us there. You know, sometimes we look at people and we think, oh, well, there's some good in them somewhere, but, boy, it's hard to find. Yes. But she never saw that. She never saw Digging that. Hard. Yeah, and Jesus didn't see it either. Yes. And I think we need to get to that point where we are looking mm. through from Christ's perspective. Helen, you've touched on a yes. very important point. I think we need to take it one step further. He didn't just see them as people that he came to save. I think... What we need to do today in 2019, each of us, is see people as to what they could become in Christ, not what they are now or what they were. I mean, we hear in church and in other places people's testimonies about how they came to know the Lord. That's great. That helps other people who may be struggling along the road. But surely our brief or part of what we're called to do is to lift them up, point them to Jesus so that they can become everything he wants them to be, Mm. so that they can have that abundant life that we talk about in John chapter 10. Yeah. Yeah, I think we've got to remember that everyone is a human being. You know, yeah. and a human being is such that God loves so much, every one of us. But, but again, uh, Brenton, the ultimate um, yeah, reason for this is for their salvation. Yes. Because I, uh, I like the verse um, 17 from John 3, right. chapter 3, which yes. it says exactly this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Through and him. my question is right now, are we also part of that plan that through us... Mm people will know Jesus more mm. yeah. to get uh, to have salvation. Nick, that is a very good point. I want us to turn to two texts, Romans 8 verse 23 and also 2 Peter 3 and verse 13 uh, because one complements the other. Now, Romans 8 verse 23 is in a section of the Bible that we would call today, if you just read it, not knowing the Bible, it's depressing. You read these three or four verses, it's actually depressing. But verse 23, I wondered if someone could read that one for me, please. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. We are saved by hope, 
but that hope is seen not sorry, but hope that is seen is not hope, for what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? And verse twenty five too. But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Okay. So what 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 is he saying here? He's talking about our condition, isn't he? He is indeed. He's yes. using the words that we would use when you're sick. One of the words you use when you're sick is groan. Am I right? <laughs> if you're in a lot of pain, you groan. <laughs> you certainly do. Is this world in a lot of pain? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes, yes. yes it is. <laughs> okay, anything else that we can take from it? What is he saying, though, to the people that he's writing to? Isn't he saying, rather than just concentrating and focusing on the groaning, focusing on the problem... We wait in hope for what? Redemption. Redemption. Who's going to read? Uh, Just before you the get Peter to that, um, Brenton, can I make a comment, please? Mm. Um, I believe here in in Romans eight twenty four and twenty five, Paul is presenting an idea that salvation is past, present, and future. I believe so. Yeah, yes. it's it's past. Yes. You know, the moment that we're saved, mm-hmm. um, it's it's actually present because we are still being saved, yes. and it's a process of sanctification, as Harvey mentioned earlier. Yes. But at the same time, we haven't received all the blessings as yet, so it's past, present, and future. It's like having it's covered a, our whole life. It's like having a present, but all you've done is take the taken the bow off yes. at this stage. Yes, that's true. That's okay. True. Yes, that's a good sorry. thought. Uh, Len, were you going to make a comment? No, I was ready to read. Oh, sorry. You can read Second Peter three thirteen because that actually f- finalizes or complements what we have read in Romans eight twenty three to twenty five. The apostle Peter writes this, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Is that good news? Oh, <sighs> well, I'm looking forward <laughs> to it. Yeah. And it's uh, based on what, Len? You it's just based read on, it. well, it's uh, based on faith and hope yeah. and based on the word of God. Jesus promised that he was going away to prepare a place for those who love him and he would come back and he would receive them to himself, that where he is, they will be also. The key word there that you read, Len, is promise. It's based on a promise. Yes, and that was the promise I just shared with you. Yes, the promise. It's based on the promise that I will come again. Uh, Again, there's an important thing here regarding this promise. Uh, As we mentioned before, Jesus is exactly like his father, and the scriptures tell us that God cannot lie, so obviously Jesus cannot lie either. So every word that comes out of the Jesus' mouth, it is true. Yes, very, very good point. Harvey? Yes, I love this, where it speaks about looking for a new heavens and a new earth. After all, we look at the way the earth is and the situation. It would be much better if it was re- remade, because it's sort of in a very bad state. But not only that. It's going to be a place where righteousness dwells. And uh, it won't be that there are negatives. It won't be that there's wars or arguments or fights. Or It's hard to imagine a place, but it is going to be a place where there is no such thing as sadness, sickness, death, worry, sorrow. All of those things will be gone. And that's all promised in Scripture. Mm-hmm. 
So when we're sharing it in just a second again, when we're when we're uh, sharing the gospel with people, one of the key factors of sharing the gospel with people surely is giving them hope, hope for the present and hope for the future. Ken, yes, I was just <clears throat> going to um, add to something that Harvey just mentioned about righteousness. I think another term we could use for this word is filled with love. Yes, yes, good point. Brendan, can I just share something yes, here? Yes, hands going up everywhere. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> that is good. I had some friends who belonged to some Protestant churches, and I won't name those churches, but the hope of glory, the hope of Jesus' second coming, didn't seem to exist in um, their theology. Uh, it seemed that their religious practice involved uh, in going to church, being good people, yeah, that was all okay. But the real point of it, of course, is the return of Christ and to be part of this kingdom of righteousness. Yes, yeah, that's a very good point, Lynn. Helen? Yeah, I, I'd like to make a point here from 2 Peter 3.14 mm-hmm. um, because some people, you know, they become complacent because we've heard so often Christ is coming. But here in 14 it says, And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. Mm-hmm. I believe that we should have that eager anticipation of his coming. But let's just stop for a moment and think, what would we like to be doing when Christ returns? And I think when we answer that, that's how we should be living every day. I think you've got that answer, haven't you, in right. Matthew and in other parts yes. where Jesus said, who is the faithful and wise servant when his master returns, find him, finds him so doing. Any other comments on that before we move to a very interesting text, Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. And we're going to focus particularly on verse 10, not on verse 8 and 9. But we will read the whole section. Ken, would you like to read uh, Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 for us, please? Uh, Again, reading from King James Version. uh, For by grace ye are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Okay, thank you, Ken. Um, what can we take from those texts? First of all... Lots. <laughs> yes, lots. Okay. We've had the example of Christ coming down from heaven to this earth. He showed compassion. His compassion was demonstrated, as we have already discussed, in practical ways. Now we're coming down to where the rubber meets the road for us today in 2019. This text is for us. Mm-hmm. But it starts out with... A statement, by grace are ye saved through faith. What what does grace do for us in understanding God's grace poured out to me, Brenton Wilkinson? It releases me totally to be able to serve others. Can you see that from this particular text? Any any comments on that? Harvey, you had your hand up. (laughs) I think this is one of the great texts again of scripture for by grace, and it says that it's a gift. It's not something that we can earn. It's not something that is from within. It, it's, it is from within in one respect, and that God puts it in our heart to accept yes, yes. because it's the gift. So even the faith that we um, exercise to accept the love of God, to accept God into our lives, 
is in fact a gift from God in itself. Yes, it is. And it says, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So we cannot earn our way to heaven. Nothing we can do will make God love us less, but nothing we um, can do will make God love us more. Good point. Helen? Grace, I believe, is God's part, but faith is man's part. And when you think about it, faith is not a means to salvation, but it's simply a channel, if you like. I I love the fact where God gives us the grace and we have as as a gift, and we in faith need to accept it. A gift is no good if you're not going to accept it, and then we accept it. And, And... I just think that works are not a cause. We've got to remember that. It's an effect of salvation. Mm. We cannot earn it. We work because we are saved, not to be saved. Yes, I think um, we we need to consider what verse 10 says, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Now, if the opposite happened, I would say salvation would be a total waste of time. Within us, we should be doing good works for ourselves. We should be coming closer to the Lord and we should be putting into practice various things like prayer, Bible study and service to others. Doing good works does not just apply to helping others. It does apply to helping others, but not just. Not just. But uh, if within Christians we were not doing those things it would indicate that salvation is not effective. I was just going to go along the same uh, line as Len mentioned about verse 10, for we are God's handiwork, Mm. created in Christ to do good works. Now, works and grace divided Christianity in many aspects. Mm. Because some people uh, believed, you know, that uh, only we need to do works, you know, to uh, to prove that we are God's people. And other people say, no, 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 you just need to um, accept Jesus and through grace uh, we are saved. Here, in my observation from verse 10, I believe is the, is the crucial point. Yes. Because yes. good works are not denied in the Bible. No, good works are needed, but yeah. are those good works through Jesus say? Christ yeah. that we have Jesus in us, yes. not that we do good works to get Jesus mm. or to know Jesus, mm. because mm. we have Jesus, yes. then good works must. Can I say that? Can I yeah. emphasize yes, on this that good, good works must yeah. be part of God's people? Yeah. In sharing God's wonderful grace with people, when we share this text with people, folk, I can't emphasize this strongly enough we must share verse 10 along with verse 8 and 9 it's not enough just to share verse 8 by grace you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it's a gift of God we must share the whole thing Harvey I think you had a comment yes works are not a cause of salvation they are a result of salvation Mm, Yes. Mm. and if it doesn't happen then it shows that our salvation is hollow it's not real okay Ken? yeah i just wanted to go back quickly something helen said was very important about uh, if someone gives you a gift you have to receive it uh, but one of the things i would add to that also if you have a gift you should share it yes or use yes. it good point 
Any other comments on that before we uh, move on? Uh, let's have a look at 1 John 3, verse 16 and 17, because in very much the same vein, it talks about what we have just read in verse 10. It also backs up very nicely what James has to say in the book of James, which we aren't going to look at today. But 1 John 3, 16, 17 is in our study for today. Uh, Helen, could you read those verses for us, please? Okay, shall do. Again, reading from the New Living Translation, and that was 1 John 3, 16, 16 and, and 17. 17. Thank you. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Here, can you hear an echo of James here? Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Yes. I, I think that's that's worth thinking about, really, because does that mean that God wants us to die for that person? I, I, I think uh, I'll just share my personal view. I believe it means that because we are liberated to live for others, laying down our life for someone else means that there is no bounds to what we will go to show that we are there for that person. Yeah. And that is a very, very hard thing to do. Some of us who have worked with other people, particularly, uh, you realise that there reaches a point where you say to yourself, I don't think I can do anything more to help this person. And yeah. yet God is saying, yeah. hang on a minute, I have done this for you, Brenton Wilkinson. <laughs> I have put up with you all these years. I have loved you in spite of yourself. You need to do the same for this person that you're saying, I have nothing left to give for anymore. There are yeah. hands going up everywhere. I see these two guys want to jump in, but I'd like to just come back on that, if I sure. just may, just quickly. As I mentioned before, real love is an action, not a feeling. And it produces sacrificial giving. Yes. And I think that's, that's an word. important word. word. And And also, I've got... Um, made myself a note here that the greatest acts of love is giving oneself for another and how can we give up our lives well by serving others with no thought of receiving anything in return sometimes though it is easier to say we'll die for other for others than to truly live for others think about that one oh, that's you a know? very good point um it involves putting others desires first Mm. You know, and yes. sometimes it's easy to say, yeah, well, I will die for you. Nick, yes. I'll die for you. Willingly die for you. But then when to it comes to the actual it. living part. A yeah. lot harder. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Ken, sorry, uh, sorry Len. Okay. <laughs> I think um, here the Apostle John was writing about the degree uh, to which someone may go in an effort to demonstrate the love that they have. The ultimate degree, of course, is laying down one's life, giving one's life for them. However, he's not saying that we need to give our lives to, to save others and help others. But he is saying here that we need to put aside our own interests yes. rather than just protect our own interests. Yes. And probably just very plainly, can I just say that we need to die to ourselves? Um, to live for can't, others. We can't do you know, probably that's the essence of the yeah. text there, you yeah. know. Uh, even though we may come across, and there are people mm. who physically died yes. uh, to save uh, others, yes, but right. we, if we want to share, because here was that text, was, uh, also mm. we just looked at, at sharing our possessions yes. with others. Mm. You know, to share our possession with others, we need to die to ourselves, yes. not to love those things, you know, yes. and to, to, uh, to, to give it 
to, to others. It is a good point, uh, Nick. Um, I think, uh, Helen, before we come to you, Harvey's hand was jumping up and down. Someone must have the cattle prod, I think. <laughs> I think these texts say something about the love we should have for others <coughs> like Jesus had for us, and that is our love should be extreme. It's not telling us that we should go and give up our lives for others, although it's saying that our love for them should be so extreme yes. that if that was necessary yes. for their salvation... We would do it. We would do it. Mm. Yeah, Helen. I, I just wanted to add what I mentioned before, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And if you take that word joy, J-O-Y, Jesus first, others next, and yourself yes. last, I think that acronym kind of you know brings forward what we're talking. Yes. Mm. Our common humanity was another subject that we were looking at. Now, that's very interesting because I'm going to read you a statement. And then we're going to look at Galatians 3.28, which I believe is one of the most misunderstood texts in the Bible, but we will get to that. This, this is the statement. Just, just listen carefully. Racism creates a divide. Australia is one country, but it doesn't feel like it. This is a respondent to the Australian Human Rights Commission. It is a survey in the last five or six years. They had 1,500 survey responses, 700 people actually talked to them, and this is the statement that one of them made. Racism creates a divide. Australia is one country, but it doesn't feel like it. Now, we are not here today to talk about racism per se. We have racism in sport, and we've had commissions on it, and I've read the findings of it to such an extent that nearly put me to sleep and there are other things uh, that I've looked at as well but one in five Australians have indicated that they have had race hate talk at some stage or another in their lives mm. what Galatians 3.28 says is totally liberating and we need to understand that text um, I think Len it's probably about around to you to read that one for us please Len let's pull it apart a bit our text says there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And maybe we should read verse 29 as well because that's a, a very comforting one. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, this has got some very <laughs> interesting implications. Would you like to comment on some of it, Lynn? Yes, I would. <laughs> um, I've uh, dealt with people who believe that all the Jews are going to be saved because they are physically Abraham's seed. But there are a number of places, and I'm not going to take the time because it's slightly a different topic than what we're on. Yes. But there are plenty of, um, there's plenty of evidence to show that the followers of Christ are Abraham's seed, spiritual Israel, if you like. But there is a lot more, and I'll leave others to talk about that. All right. Um, Harvey, you had your hand up. In our family, we have some adopted children that mm -hmm. were adopted, and we love the concept of adoption, and this is really talking about it we is, are being adopted into the yep. family of God. Yes, it is. Um, because it says we're Abraham's seed, but we probably physically aren't. But we are adopted into the family of God and are considered part of Abraham's seed because of it. 
And so the fact is, adoption means we have been chosen. And that's a wonderful thought, I mm. think. Okay, let's have a look at the three sections very quickly because our time is moving on. First of all, it starts out by saying there is neither Jew nor Greek. Now, the differences between Jews and Greeks in their society was stark. <laughs> it was the stark difference between them. So in Christ, what Paul is really saying is in Christ, Christ does not see a Jew and a Gentile. Christ sees people who need his grace. Yes. So that breaks down that barrier that has been artificially erected because of sin. It breaks that barrier down in Christ. The second um, one. Can I just yes, you may. a little summary there? Yeah. Nationality <coughs> means nothing to Christ. Good point. Okay. But in terms of the promised ones, which were referred to the Jews, you know, like and the children of yes. God, it's very important to clarify that thing that Jesus um, put it so straight that uh, there is not neither Jews or Gentiles, you know, they are all one. Yes. You know, and if, uh, if people are still... Uh, considering that first needs to happen that the Jews, all the Jews will receive Jesus Christ and so on and uh, you know then we need to think carefully of that thing because Jesus yeah. clarified that yes. Yes. and um, we know also that Jesus clearly said that I came to my people and they received me not mm. um, it's not an assurance that if you are part of Israel you will inherit the kingdom of uh, yeah. heaven yeah. Uh, but it's an assurance that if you are born again Christian and receiving Jesus in your life and you are a seed of Abraham mm. which, which is a promise yes. that you inherited thank, thank eternal you, life uh, we're moving on to slave or free it's breaking down the hostility can I put it this way I'll, I'll go back to the start Jew and Gentile in Christ the hostility between Jew and Gentile is broken down in Christ the difference in social status between slave and free is broken down. In Christ, the difference between male and female is broken down. Now, we need to be very careful here because this is a subject for nearly another Bible study. Does that mean that Christ has abolished the difference between men and women, the difference between this and the difference between that? Because I don't believe this is what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about that in Christ, these artificial barriers that have been uh, put in place because of sin have been broken down because we all need Christ's grace. Mm. Male, female, slave, free, Jew, Greek. Harvard. I think there's one thing there you said <clears throat> that I can't actually agree with. Fine. I think <laughs> male and female are not artificial barriers. They were created yeah, by God you. as mm. male and female. Yes, you're right. Helen? Yeah, some Jewish males back in this time of Paul greeted, greeted each new day with a prayer yes. saying, Lord, I thank you that I'm not a Gentile, a slave or, or a, a woman. woman. Mm, and correct. I believe this is where, you know, this is, <laughs> this is, this is the answer down. to it, isn't yes. it? Yes, You know, yes. because everyone is enhanced by Christianity and we are made one. Yes. And, and in fact, it goes when it says in verse 29, you know, well, 28, for you are all one in Christ and now that you belong to Christ, you're the true children. Yes, yes. Lynn. You know, we are mm. one. These barriers are broken down. But how horrific to actually start praying but and say, Lord, are, I'm glad I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not. A, it's like saying I'm glad yeah. I'm not you, you and you. Yeah. I mean, how haughty, how yeah. arrogant is that? Yeah, before we come to Lynn, but can I ask the simple question of all of us? And I'm asking it of mm. myself as well. Do we understand any better that these barriers are broken down in 2019 than they did? Uh, well, I recognise that everybody 
uh, has an equalness in Christ. What I wanted to say, who invented human rights? It was God. And we can read that in the Ten Commandments. Yes, that's true. And here it's saying nobody has greater human rights than anybody else in Christ. The world has put in place, as it's already been said, artificial barriers. But in Christ, no, I can't say I'm better than anybody else, and they can't say they're better than me. True. Because we're all on an equal footing. Mm. Helen? It's very sad, though, that in the world it isn't an equal footing. And no, I, I know from that's my That's what own, I'm alluding yes, to, that in the world were, in which we live, yeah, we I, are not I can equal. only speak from my own experience on, on a couple mm. of occasions. Number one, I used to be a coach driver. And it was a time when women might drive a few school buses but didn't do the long hauls. And when I came over to South Australia to get my licence changed, I still had my current licence from New South Wales. And I was met with, with a hostile group of men, I'm sorry to say it, who kept saying, you drive, you know, do you have a logbook? I said, of course I have a logbook, but you drive coaches, you know. And they weren't even going to sign over my licence. Yes, and it was yes. just very difficult. Yes. The other sign, sign is that I am a lay pastoral assistant and so I preach in different churches and it's amazing how many people have literally Mm. attacked me Mm. on being a woman Mm. who is preaching shouldn't you keep quiet in church and I just say look go back and read that text in context and if you have a problem take it up with my father in heaven because he called me Mm. yeah but it's still there there are prejudices it's still there and I'm I'm sure it's the same I know a man who said he went to church and went to court to get custody for his children but he said the courts at that time were swaying towards the woman Mm. you know in the world Mm. it's still there but I believe if you are a true Christian you shouldn't be there okay Revelation 14 6 and 7 Mm. simply states that uh, the hour of God's judgment has come it says to worship him on the basis of his creatorship and uh, it also indicates that that message is worldwide am I right Mm -hmm. but I want to read one last text in uh, finishing I want Someone to read for me, Philippians 2 and verse 15. Would you like to read it for us, thanks? Starting at verse 14. 14, I think, yes. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Wow, is that a powerful statement or not? Hmm. Absolutely. We are to shine as lights in a what? It uses two words to describe our world. A crooked and perverse Crooked and nation. perverse generation. Is it any different in 2019 Absolutely than when this not. was written? Ken? <coughs> Absolutely not. <clears throat> now in 2019, I'm sure it's, if not worse, but it's, it would equally be as bad as it was 2,000 years ago. Yeah. Well, I've got uh, a personal testimony. We've had some workmen at our home doing some jobs this morning I discovered a special broom that I bought some time ago has disappeared. Mm. Do we live in a crooked and depraved generation? I believe we do. We do indeed. Mm. Right. As you asked, Brenton, a bit earlier, if we, uh, where are we at this point in time considering what's happening around us, you know, and each one of us individually? Now, we live in a very crooked uh, world, mm. but... Are we, if we see that, are we standing up for what God calls us to make a difference mm. in this world? Because that's what 
Yeah. That was his mission to come and make make a difference in this world. Are we making a difference in this world? Yes. That is the challenge. Yeah. I'd just like to mention that we can't shine brightly if we're clouded by complaining and murmuring. Correct. You know, the Israelites, they were worshipping God, but they were oppressing people. You know, and we can bring it to our day now. We can go and worship God in whatever church you want to, mm. and then there might be just a group that are murmuring and complaining. Mm. You know, and you, and you can't have both because mm. the light goes out or it gets yes, dim. And we've got, got to we've got to shine for Christ. And yeah. I think that's what we need to think about. Yeah, our yes. challenge is to live the life Absolutely. that God has called us Absolutely. to. Because remember, it says we were created. For good works. Yes, and let me tell you, if we're living that life, we will have joy. Yeah. Let us Absolutely. close with prayer. Yes, let me pray. Thank you. Loving Heavenly Father, Lord, we just bless your name, praise you, Father, that you have given us this wonderful word, the Bible, to study and the Holy Spirit to enlighten us. I pray, Lord, that what we have learned this morning will certainly make us shine as beacons for you, that the light will not be obscured or blurred because we we let our selfish desires come forth. I pray that we will look on you first and others next and then ourselves last, Lord, but we will remember that each one is created in your image, including ourselves, Father. You thought us worthy enough that you came and died on that cross. Help us to accept that, Lord, and to take you into our life on a daily basis. I pray, Father, that there will not be one of our listeners or our panel missing when you come in the clouds of heaven and that we can rejoice together. Together, I pray in your name. Mm. Amen. Amen.